Hello, hello, and welcome to the Edge of the Block. Great little episode today as I'm joined by Nathan Chambers, a sports law enthusiast who um, has got a lot to say about the joys and the risks cryptocurrency may hold for sports fans, clubs, players, as digital assets continue to spread across all facets of our daily lives. Pretty excited about this one. I'm Ben Small. Let's get stuck in. Nathan, hi. Thank you for joining Edge of the Block. How are you doing? I'm all good, thank you. Thank you for having me, Ben. No trouble. Uh, real pleasure, mate. I've been excited about this one because, um, I mean, our paths crossed um, at one of those football agency gatherings, but I saw you online months before. You're pretty passionate about supporting players through employment contracts and working with minors. Um, you pulled on a couple of emotional heartstrings for me. For me, there definitely, and I think um, you're getting more and more traction out there. So really, really pleased that um, you you agreed to this. But I, I know plenty about you, but I don't think uh, um, everyone in my network does. So yeah, I mean, give us a quick intro. Yeah, sure, and yeah, thanks for those for those kinds of words. Really appreciate it. So. So yeah, so I guess I started my journey in in law and um, just worked at several different sort of uh, financial services companies in, in risk management and um, mm. and then moved to do my training period to become a, a solicitor, which is kind of where I'm at now. Um, but obviously my interests have always been in technology and, and sports and in particularly football and um just touching on some of the points that you mentioned about about supporting players through sort of like minors impl- employment contracts it's just uh i've seen a lot of players from from london and south london in particularly sort of get themselves into situations that are not very favorable let's say so i guess the aim is just to provide people with information and and helpful information to make them uh, or to help them make better decisions i guess yeah sure i mean with there's been um quite a few documentaries coming out recently um covering player welfare right because that that gap between fans and players and clubs has sort of got bigger and bigger over time um and i think there's been quite a lot of talk about how players are left in vulnerable situations right yeah i think it's incredibly incredibly important that we improve that that network and that care facility that we offer players as well I do think it's it's getting better. Um, it's probably not where it needs to be. But I did see recently that um, I think Crystal Palace have started to offer aftercare for released players up to three years. So oh. I think things are moving in the right direction. Um, but I guess it's down to not just the clubs as well, but down to other people um, to create better support networks for, for players and to give them alternatives as well um, should the worst happen and they don't make it in as a professional footballer. Yeah. So actually, it's clubs taking initiatives, right? There's, there still isn't much regulation to to make sure that it's standardised. No, there's not a general uh, regulation or any any rules per se in terms of in terms of releasing players, mm-hmm. um, which I guess I think is is quite a shame. Um, but as you know, I guess football is quite a an independent business, especially in the UK, um, and if you compare it to somewhere like the MLS where they're kind of centralized by a league. Yeah. Um, I think over here is a lot more independent and they've got kind of free reign to do what they want. Mm. So um, I guess it would be good to have some sort of um, 
mandatory regulations for released players. But um, I, I guess, so, like I said, we're, we're moving in the right direction. So hopefully we can, um, clubs, clubs all around improve their, improve their aftercare facilities. Sure. Well, I, I don't know. It sounds like it's a good thing. There's people like you out there, Nathan, to, uh, to pick up the baton when maybe the clubs are letting the guys down. Um, could you tell me a bit more about your, your current role? Yeah, sure. So, so I'm currently working as a trainee solicitor in a US law firm. Um, and I specialize in technology outsourcing and, and commercial contracts. Right. So, so I guess if, if uh, we deal with a lot of licenses, so intellectual property licenses, so um, if a company wants to lease some of their technology and it's mainly software to another company for use, we'll handle mm-hmm. the contract for that. If a business wants to outsource a particular unit to uh, another business, I guess the reason behind that would probably be cheap, cheaper running costs. Sure. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll handle the, the contract situation around that as well. And we also get involved with sort of like due diligence matters where a company might want to acquire another company, um, especially in, in the technology sector, we can come in and, and help people. So yeah, that's sort of a round robin of, of my current role. Uh, I mean, you sound like a busy bee, mate. How are you fitting in all the sports stuff at, at the same time? Um, it's just a real passion of mine. So I, it's kind of like when <laughs> I know it's yeah. cliche to sound, but um, to, to no, say, but yeah. it's just as soon as as soon as kind of work's done, sort of heads down into into football and and into the laws and regs in particular. So um, for me, it's, it's it's part of my learning anyway. I yeah. just see like I, I need to obtain this information. Um, and, and, and it's good because I think sharing some of the information kind of holds me accountable to what I'm, what I'm publishing and what I'm saying as well. Yeah. So it helps me to actually yeah. have a better understanding of when I write it. So that's, that's definitely helpful. 100% made it comes across in what you put out there. But what excites you most about sports law? I just think the governing bodies is, is, is quite an interesting one. And when I say governing bodies, I mean, um, we're talking about like FIFA, um, the Premier League and uh, and UEFA, mm-hmm. I think it's quite interesting because um, there's, let's say they're they're dominant in in the area. So if you think about sport, and, and we think about football, we have a governing body who are particularly dominant in an area, and you wouldn't find that in most businesses. Like you wouldn't, you might have one or two. So for example, if you think about supermarkets, you got a few supermarkets that are dominant. You don't have one that just runs the industry. Yeah, and I think I find it fascinating that. Um, it's almost like uh, not a dictatorship, but the Premier League have a lot of control. You even have a lot of control. Um, in effect, people actually think it's the other way around that clubs have a lot of control, but um, the governing bodies dictate the rules and the guidelines as to what these clubs can or can't do. So I find that quite, quite interesting that a lot of the power lies with them and, and most people wouldn't know that. No, I mean, lots of vulnerabilities in that, surely. Yeah, I guess... And, and, and it, it kind of links in nicely to a debate that's happening right now with, with agents and um, them potentially being capped on, on their commission as to what they earn. Mm. There's a, um, a competition challenge in, in terms of uh, EU legislation just to say, look, is that, is that fair? Can you restrict somebody's earnings? Um, but these proposed guidelines are coming from the governing body mm-hmm. who are... Um, I guess the the be the the all the all C and I and the all C and power in this situation. So um, <laughs> it, it's it's an interesting scenario because if if they pass the legislation or they pass the guidelines to say, look, this is what we're saying, we're going to cap your commission. 
it'd be interesting to see how the industry reacts. I suspect there'd be a, a very strong legal challenge from from a few prominent agents. Um, but yeah, that 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 could be a big clash that could be coming in the next year or so. Well, oh, one to look out for. I mean, you sort of preach into the choir in terms of the challenges of a governing body, right? Crypto, um, the future of, of crypto in general, MySpace is very dependent on on how different jurisdictions are going to lead regulation in the future. What consumers are going to be able to do in the space? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's um, again, it's 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 quite an interesting thing because it's such a early time in the crypto space. And um, I don't think many countries actually have any legislations uh, or much legislation around uh, crypto assets um, or even NFTs in, in general, which is, uh, it adds to the intrigue uh, of what um, crypto and NFTs are because some people might say they're operating in a unregulated space. Mm-hmm. I guess there are, there are some elements of cryptocurrency and uh, NFTs that can be caught by by existing legislation yeah but um but again it's still it's still a pretty new new space well this is the the thing that interests me but quite a lot at the moment you see a lot of posts about clubs and uh players jumping into the space here because obviously there's so much hype i, I don't know if you've been tracking this year right but the average so far for nfts um 75 000 individual sales of nfts per day in 2022 wow. Um, and we're tracking it. Uh, this is ridiculous. I think it was 170 million turnover. Um, wow. So obviously, people are going to be jumping at it left, right, and centre. Particularly people in the sports world because they've got so much, so much influence. But then comes the the risk at the at the other end. You know, reputational damage. Um, I mean, and from a legal perspective, there must be so many things that you're you're looking at and eyeing and thinking. You know, there's there's a journey. There's a rabbit hole there to go down. Yeah, and it's a it's a pretty deep and and a pretty wide one. Um, I guess the biggest problem in with NFTs is is intellectual property. So that being copyright, trademarks, and and maybe patents. It's just such a complicated process in terms of lining up who who owns what and how is it licensed. It's um. It's, it's, it's quite a minefield. So if we look at it from, from all sides, I guess, and, and not just in the sports industry, just a general point around NFTs, I guess from the buyer's perspective, um, you have to understand sort of like what you're buying and if you actually have a license to do what you want with that. So can you, can you commercialize what you've just bought? Do you have the, the ability to use somebody's intellectual property um, I think these are the questions that that people should be should be thinking about when they're buying NFTs before they make the plunge, right? Yeah, I I kind of I, I would urge people to do due diligence, um, and that's just research, just in depth research on what you're planning to buy, and even and even people planning to create NFTs as well. Um, you just have to do research to make sure you have all the available information um, and you actually have the license to 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 mint that piece or um, you're able to do what you want when you buy the piece yeah. and um, a, a lot of these a lot of these things are quite easily not easily discoverable but if you look at a, 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 ter- a marketplace terms you might be able to 
get a lot of information from that and that can then lead you to make a, a more informed decision. That's it. That comes back down to education, right? You, if you're going to make a, an ed- educated move on these things, um, you, you you need to spend the time speaking to the right people, wising yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, bit. yeah, hundred percent. I don't think you would um, you go and buy a house without doing any research on it or doing a couple of viewings. So um, I guess people should look at that in the same way as if you're buying a house or you're buying a car, because yeah. ultimately these are these are investments that that people put a lot of money into. So um, people should just uh, approach with caution. And, uh, I suppose if I could bring us to the other edge of the block, the clubs, a um, couple of things have come out this week. Like um, I think Sky News have done a piece on on Arsenal recently who um, are, are being accused of misleading their fans to buy um, their own tokens that would give them voting rights on certain things mm. like I don't know, uh, music played in the stands and um, what highlight reels are shown before the game, that kind of stuff. And that was launched at the end of last year, I think. And the tokens have already halved in value. Yeah, it's, a, <laughs> it's an incredible um, situation. And I think, so they actually got fined, actually, I believe, Arsenal by the, the ASA, which is a Advertising Standards Authority in, in the UK. Right. Um, substantial fine for that. But um, I think that just kind of demonstrates the the capability of this this new technology, a new phenomenon, just to pluck kind of money out of thin air. It's almost like you're growing money on on a tree. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> And I feel I feel it's slightly misused in the way it's advertised, just because it kind of plays off that emotional connections that fans have with their team, yeah, and that, that tribalism. So, like you said, it uses, oh, you can have voting rights in a in a board meeting, or you can have a a meet and greet with a or with a player or or whatever. Mm. Yeah. But, so when yeah. you exchange that, you exchange that that money for a token. I guess you don't really know what it is you're doing or what it is you're getting or how or how it increases in value over time. I think many people don't really understand, understand that. And if, and, and me, certainly I don't, I don't understand that either. I don't understand how, how they operate, but um, I think again, it, it, it does come back to education and just learning a little bit more about, about the tokens. But um, mm. for me, it feels more like a marketing opportunity if I'm, if I'm completely honest. Clubs as being opportunistic and, and riding that wave. It's a shame though, right? Because you're potentially compromising well, centuries of good will building with your fan base. Yeah, I, I, I do agree. And I, and I think I'd kind of say it's, it's nothing new because clubs burn through money really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that they receive money works is often in installments. So a big source of revenue for Premier League clubs is the broadcasting money that they get from Sky, BT, and whoever else pays in. So that money is distributed to them on an installment basis. So there could be times where they don't get as much money in a particular year. So usually in a cycle, the first year they earn, well, they get the most money from that cycle. Right. And then the money start to start to drop down a little bit. So clubs are always looking for money. And if you look at, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but if you look at the number of Premier League clubs that are sponsored by gambling companies or betting companies mm-hmm. that people have never heard of, some of them. Um, it's, it's almost like a, a highest bidder win situation. So 
if you approach a sports club and say, look, I want to be a sponsor of your team, I'm going to give you X amount up front, then for them, there's a conversation to be had because, because they need the money. Yeah. Uh, they needed to play wages, they need to pay staff. Um, and football is just one of those things where it's just a constant involvement of money being burnt through because I guess you never, you'll never complete football. You can win things, but again, the next season you have to win it again. Yeah, um, absolutely. And you, you need and money if you're to not that. taking that cash, you're, uh, the next team will, right? And then Exactly, yeah. Uh, and it's just, I guess there's maybe probably another example is the, the Staples Centre being changed to crypto.com. Yeah. Just, yeah, just, you just offer enough money and um, they'll take it. Yeah, it's just, it just seems potentially very, very dangerous in the long run. If um, it's a great way to to ruin your relationship with your fan base, um, potentially. How do you see that evolving in in time? Do you think if regulation does come in, because I suppose a good parallel to draw here is you said gambling, um, and then you go into investing. Football index, right? Do you remember that crazy time? Yes. Yeah. It's crazy. I suppose, actually, fans weren't put off after all that, were they? They weren't too angry with people. And Yeah, it's, it's a good point to make. And it kind of makes you wonder sometimes, if my team wins, do I care? <laughs> it's, one of those, it's one of those things where like clubs can get away with a lot, but as long as they start winning or they keep winning, and they're doing stuff right on the pitch, or they've signed a, a new player for X amount of millions. Mm. Fans are really, really fickle. Uh, and I include myself in that as well. Yeah. Sometimes it's just, I just want to care about what's happening on the pitch and just miss me with all the other stuff that happens off the pitch. Um, but I think I, I do think it's getting to a point where it's becoming more and more obvious. I think the wall was kind of pulled over a lot of people's eyes, but with everything and all the access to so much information now it's becoming it's becoming harder to harder to deceive fans i guess because we are becoming more clued up on on what's going on and and the business of of sport as well so i, I do think over time that fans are becoming more knowledgeable but to a certain extent i think if sports teams are winning then who cares yeah, no, I, I completely. I mean, actually, I raised the Arsenal example earlier, but I'm an Arsenal fan, and if um, if the money they raised from that that marketing effort <laughs> helps them buy Valovic, then maybe I don't care. I don't know. They're essentially making the most of our undying loyalty, right? Yeah, and it's um, yeah. To be honest, I guess it's it's just an exchange that's made. It's like a a business transaction in in that sense as mm -hmm. well. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think as long as the team performs, then I think people will kind of continue to sweep it under the rug yeah. until um, something goes wrong, and then and then you pull the rug away, and then there's loads of dust, and everyone's like, "Oh, I didn't know this was here. Oh, how long have you been doing this for?" Sort of thing. So um, yeah, it's just one of those things. Time will tell, I suppose. Well, I thought that was a really interesting chat. Thank you for um, giving us your your legal insight onto it, um, because. It's easy to get carried away as fans and, and not think things through to on, on all levels. So, um, yeah, thank, thanks for joining me on this. Really appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. Really enjoyed it. <laughs>